This morning's scripture reading will be Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate that reading. Welcome. If you're a visitor, we're glad to have you today. Again, we hope you'll fill out a card. We can acknowledge your presence. As we start, Karen, I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We're glad that you're here. If you're a visitor, we're getting excited at our house. We plan to have all of our children and grandchildren. So it's going to be a busy time. So if we look tired next week, you'll see us happy but tired, but that's a great sight. The great sight is the headlights coming in and the taillights going out. You know. <laughs> But it is fun, not enough hours in the day. Please fill out a card if you're a visitor. We would like to acknowledge your presence. And thank you for giving to the roof and your generosity is great. I put an article on the back table about Christmas. Encourage your attention to that if you're wanting to look at that. Uh, again, as I said in the announcements, we are three shirts short of an order for the uh, State 48 at Alma School Road Church shirts. We have to have 50 if you'd like to help out, even in giving $25 for three shirts or 
one shirt, we'd be glad to get that done so that we could get that order in. As we look today at our PowerPoint slides, you might be surprised by the reading. But our first slide reminds us of the truth that when they founded this country, it was founded on the principle, the belief of the word of God. And God was very much in their word, in their teaching, and in their schools, in fact. And again, we are living in a time and everybody is trying to take God out of everything. It's time for the church to stand and be the people we need to be. And I want to challenge you to read your Bible through in 2024. Find a plan of some kind because we need to be, as we saw a few weeks ago, in the word. If we remain in Christ and his words remain in us, we will bear fruit. But like a lot of things, we need to commit to it and work to it. I'm with a group that uh, it gives me accountability and they can look at the page and see if I've read it or not. And that also is another thing to encourage me. But we're either going to get closer to God this next year or farther away. There's no middle ground. As we are coming to the end of this year, are you closer to God or farther away than you were than you started this year? And our next slide, Hebrews 10.25, reminds us of the truth that there were habit of some people in the first century to not go to church. So I ask you, what is your habit? You know, again, we live in a small town, and I, before we moved here, and I'd see people at the ball game, the grocery store, I'd see them in Wichita, at the Chinese buffet, but we couldn't just make it to church. We pretty much do about what we want to do, and welcome to all those visiting online. Again, what is your habit? Because if we make it a habit, it'll be easier to, to be more consistent. Again, maybe a little humor to get us to see what is really important we really do. The pandemic should have taught us what's really important is one day we're going to pass from this life. Are we ready? Moving on to the next slide of the news of this week. Uh, to the men, there's one more shopping day before Christmas. <laughs> Maybe not time to buy that gift, but it's certainly time to think about it. And in that context, we talk, and we'll talk again about men and women and the differences. Uh, the differences of men and women by God. He made us different. Men are like hunters. They go to the store, they find it, they shoot it, they bag it, and they take it home. <laughs> that's not how women shop. By the plan of the design of God. You say, well, that's just the way I am. Well, God is the only I am being, okay? But, you know, they go to the store and they see a bunch of stuff. They, get it, they like to touch it. They like to feel it. Maybe try it on. They buy a lot of things and take half of it back the next day. That's part of the process if you've worked in retail. But again, the differences are made by God. We're just as different on the outside as we are on the inside. We get the idea sometimes, well, you know, if I had a different mate, all these problems would be solved. No, not at all. Men and women think differently. If you're fighting over the thermostat, you're right in the range of normal. You know, I told you before, I was about married 20 years, and I thought, let's see, I'm hot, she's cold. I like quantity of food, she likes quality of food. Oh, she's my opposite. And we started making a little progress that way. And again, the real question at this time of year, everybody's thinking about Christ and that Christ came to earth. But the real question behind that question is found on our next slide. Can God really forgive sin? We know what we are like. We know what we do, how we live. And this is the real question. The scriptures answer the question. But the question I'm asking you is, do you believe that God can forgive your sin. 
We can be totally rational about anybody else, but this is where we really live. God loves the whole world. He knows how wicked and sinful the world is. Jesus died for the whole world. If there was no one else but you, Christ would have died for your sins. And God can forgive our sins. And the key point is God is sovereign. If God is sovereign, he knows everything that's going on in the world. We think, well, God loves me and cares about me, but he can't do anything about my sin. Yes, he can. He's be able to come up with a solution even before he created Adam and Eve. He knew they were going to sin. He made them anyway. If God is sovereign, and he is, that he is greater and stronger and wiser than my problems, my sins, and my circumstances, he's able to help and can do something about it. We are reminded in our next slide that grief hits many people at this time of year. We're having a grief share class. It's been very good here, I think. We'll start it in January. The only cost is for the workbook, which is $20. Uh, we do it as a service and for anyone here, anybody in the community, because grief is hard. And grief is the price of love that you love someone and you've lost them and, and you don't know what to do with it. You can't say it to them. They're not here anymore. There's the feeling in your throat or your heart. And there in that context, at least we can be kind and remember that maybe some people are dealing with things that you don't know about as we go through this busy Costco season of shopping, right? <laughs> Again, our next slide remains again. Grief for the sovereignty of God. There is pain. There is injustice in the world. The world is wicked and sinful, and, and, and it just seems to be, people always ask me, is it worse than it's ever been? I don't know. I'm not that old. But it is wicked, and it is sinful. But because God is sovereign, he knows how wicked he is. It looks like evil is winning some days. And the scriptures teach us that Jesus also cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God promised David he would be the next king of Israel, but he has to run for his life, and it feels like, it felt like God had abandoned him. Did you ever feel like the burdens of life were so hard and so pressing as if God himself was also against you? Now, God, David knew better. Christ knew better. Christ understood that God had to turn his back on him while he was on the cross so that he could die for your sins and by the sins of the whole world. For the first time in all of eternity, Christ is separated from the Father. And the, I can't fathom the next part. I could say the words. But Christ had the power to stop the crucifixion. He didn't lose his power. When they arrested him, he put Malchus's ear back on. He wouldn't have to really do anything but come down off the cross. He wouldn't need a, thousands of angels. One probably would have been enough. But the Father, the Father could have stopped the crucifixion. And there in that context, as we talk about grief and how horrible it is and how people go through it, I went through it several times kicking and screaming. I cannot fathom going through something you don't have to do. Jesus was sinless. He didn't have to die, but he did it for you and for me and for the wicked, sinful world. And the only answer, as we talked about in class, is love. As you look at wicked, sinful world that we live in, it is astounding to me that the love of God is there. He's willing to wash all of those sins away and pay for them by the sacrifice of his son. Yes, Jesus was born at some time, but the purpose was he came to die. We take mission trips. We don't go to die. 
Not, not in a plan, that's for sure. But at the cross, God was working in our world to accomplish what needed to be done. There was no other way. And in the cross of Christ, we learn that God is our only source for steady, unshakable, eternal hope. That God's holiness is our hope. That God's love is our hope. That he is angry at what is destroying us, and in his love, he rescues us. And the Christmas story preaches both the holiness of God and the love of God. And so the next slide reminds us there's salvation found only in Christ. There is no other place. You can't go to Buddha or Joseph Smith or any other religion, that so-called religion. Only in Christ is salvation found in Acts 4, 12, and 13. There's no plan B to get to heaven. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. Many people say and teach that there are many paths to heaven. That's not what Jesus Christ said. He said there is one. And with all this being said in the next slide, Isaiah 118, God's plan to his people, and from the book of Isaiah, to his people who are about to go to captivity because of their sins. Keep the Sabbath day. They didn't keep the Sabbath day. God says, we're going to make up every Sabbath day you missed. We won't outsmart God. But God starts off in the book of Isaiah by saying this, and he says he wants to forgive them. We don't know much about snow here. You know, I haven't put it up yet, but I may do it. You know, I got a cartoon on snow everywhere. I've lived like that and said, watching your snow from Arizona. I haven't done that yet, but watch for it. <laughs> but God says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. There's something cleansing about looking at snow before it's ever been touched out of the yard or the lawn. God's plan and his idea is to pay for our sins. If we would just come to him and obey his commands, not our ideas, but the next verses after this, God tells Isaiah, they're not going to listen. They are not going to listen. And I want you to preach. And Isaiah says, how long? Preach until they don't listen, because they're not going to listen. And yet here's God offering salvation to a stubborn unrebellious, unrepentant group of his people, the Jewish people in Isaiah's time. It took a war and all those deaths for them to humble themselves. Our reading may surprise you as we look at Revelation, but I want you to see the whole story because our next slide shows that Christ is not a baby anymore. He is the light of the tribe of Judah. He is at the right hand of God. And he is reigning right now and set up a kingdom already. And we are reigning right now on the earth. We'll come back to that in just a minute. You say, well, it doesn't look like we're reigning. It's God's plan and God's kingdom. And he sets up the parameter. You see, we want a physical kingdom with physical power, with physical ruling the world. That's not God's plan. He makes it quite clear. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world or my servants would fight. Christ wants to be the Lord in your heart, in your life, as, as he teaches in Luke 17. You say, look, they're the kingdom, they're the kingdom. The kingdom of God is within you. Christ wants to be our Lord. We, as the old song says, Lord, make us a Christian in our heart. We know what happened in Luke chapter 2. As the wise men left, as they're warned by God of an angel that... Herod was trying to kill them. Herod realized he's been outsmarted, orders all the babies under the age of two to be murdered. 
killed in that area of Bethlehem. Hoping he can kill the Christ. But another angel tells Joseph to take the baby to Egypt. And so here's the struggle of men against God. In that context, I joke and I talk about the differences of men and women. I took, took several up about the, how men can be clueless sometimes, and we are in our approach to our wives. But God's gift of salvation was well thought out and well planned. It touches the very heart and needs of our lives. For God so loved the world, and he put his heart in that gift of his only son. It wasn't a last minute, oh, what can I do to save the world? Before the world was created, it was the plan of God to send Christ. The world is wicked, and people often ask, how bad is it? I don't know. But the world is wicked and sinful inside of each of us. And that's the love that God wants to clean us up from the inside out, and le which leads us to our last slide again. God's plan is forgiveness. I'm thankful that his plan is not justice. He's giving us mercy, an opportunity to have all of our sins paid for by the death of his son. And we've talked about it many different ways. The courtroom scene at the book of Romans. Uh, we use the illustration of going out to eat. You know, ten of us go out to eat. And somebody, brother or sister, pays the bill for everybody. You're not going to go back the next day and try to pay for that check, are you? Christ is willing to pay for our sins. We must obey his commands. We must do it his way, not our way. But that's God's plan. God's plan is forgiveness. And help us to be forgiven of our sins. Why? Because he wants to make us holy. It's the only way we can live with him forever. And that's something to think about. Weak, sinful, me or you can be so cleansed by God that we can live in the presence of a holy and righteous and pure God for eternity. The scriptures teach, for as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us so lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts, and like the rest we were by nature, objects of wrath. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Going on. But God, but God, because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved, and God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. He expressed this kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is grace you've been, by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, Ephesians 2, 4-9. We were dead spiritually, and God made us alive in Christ Jesus and seated us in heavenly realms right now. Now, I don't understand all of that. It fits Colossians, what Paul says over there. It fits what we saw in Revelation. God knew the world was sinful. William Barclay tells the story of a European monarch who was frustrated by his, frustrated his aides 
because he would dress scruffily and walk the streets incognito. And when they begged him to stop, he said, I cannot rule my people unless I know how they live. And Christ came to live among us so he would know how it is down here. God loved the world so much that he didn't send a committee. He sent his one and only son to become a sacrifice for our sin. We have a savior and an advocate and he knows what it's like to live here because he came where we are. He lived like we live and we can look evil in this world and it might make us sick, angry, or depressed. But God looked at the evil in the world and wanted to save it. God doesn't write off the world or you and I and just say, that's it, you're done, you're toast, I'm tired of you, I'm finished with you, you can just go to hell, I don't care. God doesn't do that. We deserve that, but that's not what he does. God doesn't say, I, I can't forgive you, you're just too bad. The world is just too wicked. No, God's plan was to save the world. And the good news is we don't deserve it, but that's what he wants to do. When Jesus came, the scripture said, he said, here I am, and it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. Hebrews 10, verse 7. He came to obey the plan of God to be a sacrifice for sin. Let's go back to our reading again. For the reading of chapter 5 of Revelation, all of the other apostles except for John have been put to death in a martyr's death. John, let's try something different. Let's put him on an island that's known for nothing except that John is there, rocky, treeless, barren island. We don't know if he's attached to Roman soldiers. They're clearly there somewhere, I think. And in that context, God gives John, through Christ, a revelation. A revelation, a message to seven churches, but also a message to us today. And the context of chapter 1 is the greeting. John, who knew Christ, sees Christ in chapter 1, and he's scared to death. Chapter 2 and 3, the letters to seven churches. And the message of chapter 4 is God is on the throne. You afraid of Caesar? You afraid of your government? Let's see the one you should really be afraid of. Him who can destroy both body and soul. And chapter 5 is Christ. Just like Jesus said in John, you believe in God, believe also in me. In John chapter uh, 15, here you have in chapter 4 of Revelation, God. Chapter 5, you have Christ. And let's go back to that. Here's John in the spirit and the heaven. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides with seven seals. It was the common practice in the first century to write a will. And they would put seals on it as the witnesses would be. Now seven is an important number. You may notice the sevenfold praise of Christ and other sevens. This is the will of God. Here's the will of God. And there it is. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Here's the will of God, and we can't see what it is. Do you ever wonder what the will of God is for your life? John has watched all the other apostles be or known of all the other apostles be killed, and now he's in exile. And here's a book with the will of God on it. And he's weeping. I want to know what's in there. No one is good enough to open it up. 
And one of the elders came to me and said, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scrolls and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. They had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Again, perfection is what that means. Seven horns are power. Eyes are knowledge. Again, he came and took the scroll right out of the hand of him who sat on the throne. In the original, there's no hesitation. He walks up strongly and is able to take that scroll from the hand of God. For he is a lamb who was slain. Now we understand that figure of speech. And the four living creatures of the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And each one had a harp which were the holding golden bowls full of incense. Here the Bible's going to explain itself. Which are the prayers of the saints. So here's all of these symbols which are explained as the prayers of the saints. Your prayers matter. And your prayers go to the very throne of heaven. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language, people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Right now, he's saying, in the first century and today, the world may beat on you, but you need to look at your heavenly calling. For Christ is at the throne of the right hand of God right now. And I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 upon 10,000. They encircled the throne and living creatures and elders in a loud voice saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, wisdom and strength, honor and glory and praise. A sevenfold praise to Christ. Sometimes we need to take our eyes off the world and look up to heaven and see God on the throne and Christ at his right hand. He'll solve a lot of our problems. God's still on the throne. Christ is there. Christ is reigning right now. He is Lord. Now, the scriptures teach that one day, everything will be put under his feet, including death will be the last thing. And so as we live right now, many of us have made Jesus our Lord. We're trying to follow him. We're trying to obey him. We're trying to serve him. But in that context, there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right now we do it voluntarily. That day, whether it's the majesty will overwhelm everybody or the power, it will happen. Whether you believe it or not, it will happen. We're just concerned some people will wait too long for that. If you had to evaluate Ebenezer Scrooge, what would you say? Stingy? Cheap, miserly, heartless, cold, on a path to hell, but he changed. You could say, the, well, the second half of his life, Dickens said, you know, there was nobody who celebrated Christmas as much. He turned his life a different direction. And Dickens told that story to show that people can change, but it comes from the old, old story. As the scriptures teach that light shines in darkness, John chapter 1 and verse 5, describing the birth of Christ, that light came into a dark, sin-filled world. The world pauses at this season to celebrate the birth of Christ. 
And the Word became flesh, Christ, Jesus. And Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. When John spoke of him to come and live among us, he said, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. There is, was, and still is darkness associated with sin and despair associated with sin. But the birth in Bethlehem gives light to shine in darkness. The light of his presence is stronger than the darkness. And Jesus tells his followers to let your light shine that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Wise men still seek him. Let me close with a couple scriptures. What we're doing here is describing the truth of what the scriptures say. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. If you're a Christian, you're an ambassador. If you've ever been out of the country and seen that embassy in the United States, it's a little bit of home away from home. Maybe, like me, you need to talk to somebody if you need to get right with God. And Paul writes in the chapter before in 2 Corinthians 4, where we get our text also from today. Therefore, by God's mercy, we have this ministry. We do not lose heart. As a Christian, we have the mercy of God, and that's what keeps us going. Not the law, not our sinfulness, but the mercy of God. Therefore, by God's mercy, we have this ministry. We do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways, and we do not use deception or distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commit ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blighted the mind of the unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the very image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. We talk about evangelism, the state of the world is such that maybe what you need to talk to is, is there a God? If you saw in this text, it says, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the mind of the unbelievers so they can't see the glory of the gospel of God. But it is the gospel that can change them. It is the gospel that we let our light shine, that people can come to know God. And with a conversation, like I said, you may have to say, are you a Christian? Did you come to church? Do you believe there's a God? And all of us here can ask that question. The scriptures are quite clear. Christ came because God wants to change us from the inside out, to give us peace inside, forgiveness inside, now, 
and a home with him forever. And just like Dickens in A Christmas Carol, or even The Grinch, we could change. We could be better than the worst thing we've ever done. You've done very well, and the lesson is yours. But the challenge is, is Jesus your Lord? I didn't ask if you were perfect. I didn't ask if you were sinless. If Jesus is your Lord, you're surrendering to him. You're obeying his commands. You're receiving his grace and his mercy and forgiveness through his blood. That relationship is there. Because only in Christ is there salvation. If you're not in Christ, as we read in Ephesians, you're without hope, without God in the world. But God, who is rich in mercy, invites you to come be his son or daughter. If there's a public response you need to make today, why don't you come?